A quick reminder, the hosts of this show are employees of Mach 1 Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only and nothing said on the show should be taken as investment advice. Employees and clients of Mach 1 Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed. Here at the Mach 1 Market Moment, we upload a brand new podcast each and every Thursday. Be sure to subscribe to our show so you never miss an episode. Hello and welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment, where we provide financial information on topics such as investing, insurance, financial planning, and everything related to your money. Welcome to episode number 53. This is Mike Frost, and today on the podcast, we'll be discussing alternative investment options, including real estate investment trust, or you may know them as REITs. First of all, let's welcome to the podcast. Hey, we're going to start off different today. Erica is our marketing intern here. Erica, how's it going? It's going good. Erica's been here a whopping, what, three weeks, Erica? Yes. And she's loving it. She's going to hate to go back to school, and we're going to miss her. So, From the world-famous Washtenaw Baptist University, the real OBU, right? Yes. <laughs> That'll make a lot of people happy. <laughs> okay. And then we got Matt, our senior VP. Matt, you ready to talk about alternative investment options? I am. Yeah, it'd be a good conversation. Matt's hip on all of this. And of course, our founder and CEO, uh, David Lee. David, are you an alternative investment person? I'm, I'm excited to talk about alternative investments today. I'd, I'd rather talk about fishing, but that's not on our, <laughs> on our topic uh, today. I'm not sure but that yeah. would qualify for investments, <laughs> but uh, that'd be a future podcast. Okay. All right. So first of all, let's start off. Let's explain what an alternative investment is and why anybody should consider them. David or Matt, who wants to take that? All right, I'll take it. Um, An alternative asset class is basically anything that doesn't fit into what I would call the traditional investment class, which would be stocks, bonds, and probably cash. Um, So if it's anything other than those, those are generally called alternative investments or alternative asset classes you might hear it referred to as. So for example, art, you know, would be considered an alternative asset class, commodities, even real estate, although real estate's almost in the traditional uh, category, but it is technically considered an alternative, especially if you're talking about things like real estate investment trust, which I know we'll get into later, hedge funds, private equity, uh, venture capital, uh, managed futures or, or managed options contracts, all those things would be considered alternative assets. Matt, any comments? Yeah, I mean, one of the things, the first thing that comes to mind is that David mentioned the, the traditional conventional assets being stocks, bonds, and cash. Those are all very liquid. So oftentimes when you think of all alts, you might hear them referred to as or alternatives. A lot of times there's less liquidity involved. So you're having to tie your money up for you know specified period of time. So that's the, like David, you said, real estate's a pretty traditional asset in terms of just a lot of people use it, but it doesn't have like the liquidity feature lots of times that like bond, stocks, bonds. And that is a great point. That is a, a, fairly common characteristic among all of these alternative asset classes is uh, you said you might have to tie your money up for a defined period of time. More often than not, it's an undefined period of time, right? Which we'll talk about as we get into some of these. And for those of you new to the podcast, liquidity means you can get to your money easy. It's not tied up like uh, David just mentioned. Okay. All right. So now we know what the what is. So a traditional investment, like David said, stock, bonds, and cash. So if you invest in something besides that, that would be an alt or an alternative investment. And we rattled off a few of those. Okay. So why would anybody consider using an alternative investment? What's the benefit? Yeah. So 
some of the benefits or some of the reasons you would think about looking at alternatives would be just diversification. You know, if you have a fair amount of money and everything's in stocks, bonds, and cash, maybe you're just looking to diversify, get exposure to something else. A lot of alternatives, real estate, commercial property, you know, precious metals, commodities, some of those things are often looked at as really good hedges against inflation. So, you know, investments that perform well in higher inflationary periods. And so if, you know, if that's a concern of yours, that might be something worth thinking about. Um, and then just the risk reward relationship. So a lot of these investments are more speculative, meaning they have more risk involved. They are less liquid. And so there's more risk across the board. So naturally you would expect a higher return. Yeah. And I would also add to that, you know, just simply a low correlation to, to stocks, right? And I saw this a lot back in or shortly after the 2008 market crash, when things were so bad for so long, people were looking for something that wasn't highly correlated to the market uh, because the market wasn't doing well, right? So these alternative asset classes are, are typically, in my experience, typically sought after more when the market is not doing so well because of their typically low correlation to the, the stock and bond markets. Okay. So let's, for some definitions here, we've talked about diversification basically means to spread things around. We'll put all your eggs in one basket. And then we talk about correlation is someone's new listening. Correlation is everything moves in the same direction. If they're correlated, if they're not correlated, something can go up and the other thing can go down. And what we're saying, a benefit of one of these alternative investments could be stock market goes down, these could continue to go up. So it's non-correlated. Just little definitions. That's a teacher coming out in me. Okay, let's have some examples, Matt. Can you give us a few examples? Yeah, so one of the first ones that comes to mind is like private equity. Um, and this is just capital that you invest in a company that's not publicly traded. So it's a privately held company that um, that you want to invest in, right? Or that someone that's trying to raise capital and that's opened it up to investors and you can come in and make that investment. Again, it's going to be liquidity is going to be the issue there. You know, finding out what are the financials and what's the financial situation of this company is maybe not going to be as easy as just investing in a publicly traded company. But private equity is one. Before you go into private equity, so are the, what's some Pros and cons of a private equity. Uh, I'll address that. So I I actually made a personal investment in a private equity uh, with a friend. The um, pros, again, would be just non-correlation to the market. The other pro would be that you can, you can potentially get a really large rate of return. You know, you might 2x or 3x your money in a few short years with if you get invested in the right companies. The biggest negative is well number one risk but that applies to pretty much any kind of investment uh, but the risk can be higher in private equity uh, as a rule of thumb but the biggest risk or the biggest negative is lack of liquidity matt mentioned this in the intro that uh, you may have to tie your money up for periods of time and oftentimes the period is an undefined period of time so you don't know when or even, or if you're going to get, you could, you could lose a hundred percent on private equity. Whereas if you put your money in the public stock market, there's basically no risk that you're going to have a hundred percent loss. I mean, assuming you're diversified, right? Whereas with, with private equity, that, that is a legitimate risk. You could have a hundred percent loss. So it's high risk. It's limited liquidity. Those are the, those are the biggest ones, especially the liquidity risk. So you got to be careful. If you're thinking about private equity, the, the rewards can be there. But you also have to know the other side of the story. Okay. What about venture capital? Who wants to take that one? Yeah. I mean, venture capital is 
pretty much the same thing as private equity. It's just in a new company, um, right? So a company, a startup, somebody trying to get off the ground who has Maybe it's just an idea of something that hasn't even come to fruition yet. Maybe it's something that's come to fruition in a company that's just in the baby stages. And so there's not as much of a track. Like think about the show, the popular show uh, Shark Tank. That would be kind of an example of venture capital, right? Where maybe they've got a good idea. Maybe they've even been in business for a year, two, three years, but they just don't quite have the capital to really expand and make and experience economies of scale. And so they're looking for investors, right? That's a good example of, of venture capital. And venture capital is also called VCs. Yep. Venture capitalists. And those Shark Tank is a great example. They, those people put their own money in it. And some people say, well, why don't those people just go to the bank? Well, they could, but they might not get as favorable of terms. And in a VC may get a piece of the action, like some equity in the business, like 10% of it. And and to answer your question, I mean, a lot of reasons why banks may not make those type of loans, right? Because the think about, you know, banks typically like to have their loans secured by some hard asset. Like for example, when a bank makes you a loan on a mortgage, well, if so what if you quit making your mortgage payment? Well, the bank takes your house and then they sell it. And so they don't really have that much risk by giving you a loan on your house because it's secured with that physical asset. Whereas when you're trying to get a loan for a business, there's no physical asset behind that. Oftentimes it's just an idea. And so banks may not make loans, oftentimes won't make loans for a a startup business based on a good idea, whereas venture capitalists will. And again, we're talking about alternative investments here and we're not endorsing any of this. We're just giving information today. Right guys? All right. All right. How about real assets? What is real assets? Is that different like fake assets? I mean, what do we talk about, Matt? Yeah, real assets. The best way to think of it is just real, something that you can touch, feel, see, put your hands on. You know, so this can be real estate, precious metals, collectibles, you know, wine, art, jewelry, baseball cards, uh, anything that is it's a real physical possession or something you can own, uh, see and touch is a real asset. So again, that's that cover, kind of covers a broad spectrum of different things, but some of those could make perfect sense. Some of them maybe not, but that's what you're looking at in terms of real assets. And again, those are you know the same things. Kind of to, just to reiterate, you know, liquidity can be an issue, right? If you have real estate, it might be worth a lot, but if nobody will pay you what you want or nobody wants to buy it, can't get out of it, right? You can't can't cash out. And I've got a, a story on that one. You know, I'm a little bit older than you guys. And back in the day when my little girl was growing up, she loved Beanie Babies and it was all this rage, you know, and I've got tubs and tubs of Beanie Babies I thought would be collectibles. Well, they are collectibles. They're in the attic collecting dust. <laughs> so uh, liquidity is a real issue there because there is no one that wants to buy them. Okay. How about hedge funds? What a hedge fund? Is that where you have your shrubs in a fund? Uh, no, they're typically, think of it like a mutual fund. A mutual fund is a pooled investment, right? Uh, well, hedge funds are the same thing. They're typically pooled investments where people, you know, pull their money with a hedge fund manager. Um, but hedge funds do things that mutual funds don't. So mutual funds are typically just investing in stocks and bonds, right? Whereas hedge funds uh, can do some pretty crazy things like... Um, life settlement contracts. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but that's where maybe you've seen some of these commercials on TV where there's an old couple and they say, we've got this life insurance policy that we no longer need. And we have this company that will pay us, you know, a a lump sum now, and they will take over the payment on that life insurance policy. So we sold our policy. And then what happens when that, when that couple eventually dies, the company that bought that policy gets paid the death benefit 
Well, guess who is usually behind that? Usually a lot of times those are hedge funds that are participating in those type of deals. So they can do the statistical math and life expectancies and calculate what their rate of return is going to be based on average life expectancies. So that's one, just one example of some of the different things that hedge funds uh, often do besides just investing in stocks and bonds. Yeah. And another key difference between the hedge fund and mutual fund is that the mutual funds are publicly traded, right? So liquidity again in a mutual fund, generally speaking, is not an issue. And a hedge fund, right, they can have, you know, they might allow quarterly distributions or they might allow annual distributions. And depending on the hedge fund, depending on, they can set a lot more restrictions and limitations on how you get money in and out than just like a publicly traded mutual fund. So David, your example, I actually checked into that when I had life insurance policy getting ready to expire. And just so you know, if anybody's listening is thinking about that, if you're healthy, they don't want it because you're going to live too long. So don't, don't think about it. All right. How about this thing called a REIT, R-E-I-T, Real Estate Investment Trust. I've had some experience on this, but I really want to hear what your guys' uh, yeah. thoughts are. Well, I've had a lot of experience on this from through other people, through clients, but a real estate investment trust is basically a mutual fund of real estate, right? It's where people are pooling their money together, investing in a fund essentially, and then a manager or maybe several managers takes that pool of money and goes out and buys real estate with it. It could be commercial real estate. It could be nursing homes like uh, healthcare type real estate. It could be office space like shopping malls. In fact, rumor has it that uh, our own mall, Pinnacle Hills Mall here, was built through a REIT fund years ago. So basically it's a mutual fund where they go out and buy property with it instead of buying stocks or bonds. And they're, and REITs are required to pay out at least 90% of their income as dividends to shareholders. Most of my experience, truthfully, has been negative with uh, with real estate investment trusts. For just, maybe it's because people tend to come to us with their problems that need to be solved. And so as a result, we're typically seeing problematic real estate investment trust. Um, so I don't want, you know, I don't want to create the impression that all REITs are bad because they're certainly not. But I do want to be honest and tell you that pretty much all my experience with REITs that I've seen through the years has been negative because what happens if the, let's take Pinnacle Malls, Pinnacle Mall as an example, what happens if uh, the economy hits the skids and uh, some of the tenants at the mall are going out of business and or they j just quit or can't pay their rent, quit paying their rent, whatever. So if you can't sell the mall and you don't have, and tenants quit paying their rents, guess what happens? You can't get your money liquidated, right? Because to, to get your money out of it, they got to liquidate the property and you stop getting those dividends because they're not getting the income either. So I've seen that happen. I can't tell you how many times I've seen that exact scenario happen through the years on REITs where you can't get your money out of it and they quit paying the dividend. Well, you might as well have a 100% loss in that situation. That's the main issue that I have with REITs is that they, they can become highly illiquid and they can, in a worst case scenario, not only be illiquid, but not pay any dividends. And that was exactly my personal experience. It was illiquid, could not get my money out of it. And finally, it just went under 100% loss. And we've had, all of us have had clients that come in, I've got this REIT and I can't sell it. What do I do with it? Well, your hands are basically tied, but there are different types of REITs. You got your retail, you got your residential, healthcare, office, and mortgage. You mentioned some of those. David, my experience with REITs has been the exact same. Almost every REIT I've seen has been a bad situation 
option for the client. One thing that they've come out with or that I've seen, um, there's a handful of options out there, publicly traded REITs, a little bit more liquid. So, you know, if someone's looking to and wants exposure to real estate where that could make sense, again, I'm not advising or recommending that, but where it could make sense is, you know, if you're an average or smaller investor and you want to get exposure to real estate, it might make a lot more sense to go put $10,000 in a publicly traded REIT instead of trying to go buy an, a real estate yeah. property on your own, yeah. right? And so there could be in the with the right structure, the right product, if that's just a really big concern and you overexposing yourself trying to go do it on your own, like a publicly traded liquid REIT, that could be a good solution for somebody, you know, if they're looking to do something like that. That's a great point, Mitt, because we're now we need to talk about most alternative investments, which is what we've been talking about, have some restrictions on it. What are those restrictions? Yeah, you typically have to be what's called an accredited investor, which means you've got to have certain income and or net worth requirements to be able to get into those things. And that's for your own protection, right? So that you don't put too much of your income or assets into what can potentially be a highly illiquid investment and and you get yourself in trouble. And, and those requirements are you need to have at least a million dollars of net worth, net worth, or and or a $200,000 a year annual salary. So they're wanting more sophisticated investors. This is what what it's for. And not just sophisticated, but I mean, they also want you to be liquid. Because, I mean, that's part of why you've got that income and net worth requirement, right? Because they know, because it's true that these alternative assets can be highly illiquid. We talked about REITs as an example, but you could apply that same REIT problem to any of these alternative asset classes we've talked about today. And so that's why you've, you, you've got to be an accredited investor typically to access these things. So just like with anything else, we talked about diversification earlier in the program. You don't want to be overexposed to any of this stuff. You, As a good rule of thumb, you ought to have a certain percentage of your wealth in the public markets, stocks and bonds. A certain percentage in real estate is good. A certain percentage in you know, maybe some of these uh, other alternative asset classes, but you don't want to be overexposed to anything because anything can happen. Any other restrictions, Matt? One note, and I'm, I think I'm right on this on the million dollars net worth. I think that's excluding your primary residence. I believe you're correct. Just something to be aware because a lot of people might be worth a million bucks and your house is worth half of that. So a lot of these alternative investments have some high minimums to get into the investments. Their fee structure can be outlandish. And especially when it's compared to a mutual fund or an ETF or something like that, you really need to do your homework basically on this. So today's podcast was just kind of give you a different side. If you're thinking, what about, we've heard these quote, alternative investments. Now you know a little bit more. All right. Well, Erica, now it's time for you to let folks know how they submit a question to the podcast. Yes. You can submit any questions that you have on our website under the podcast section, or you can email those questions to us at podcast at mock-onefinancial.com. That's podcast at M-A-C-H-the-number-one-financial.com. Thank you, Eric. And thank you for producing the show. You do all the behind the scenes work and you make us look good on this podcast. All right, folks, we like to end each podcast with a thought of the day. And this is from Rhonda Katz. Wise spending is part of wise investing and it's never too late to start. Wise spending is part of wise investing and it's never too late to start. Well, that's it for today. We appreciate you listening to the podcast. We look forward to you joining us next time on the Mach 1 Market Moment. 
Mach 1 Financial Group, Inc. Mach 1 is an SEC-registered investment advisor located in Bentonville, Arkansas. Mach 1 may only transact business in those states in which it maintains a notice filing or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular skill level or ability. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The information presented is the sole opinion of the speaker and is not meant to be investment advice. Mach 1 does not provide tax or legal advice. You should speak with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. For full disclosures, please visit www.mach-1financial.com disclosures.